that shape us from the book of Psalms. Um, the book of Psalms is believed to be the most read book in the Old Testament. And I'm sure many of us, we have our favorite Psalms. I don't know which one yours is, which is great. But we really want to be reading and singing the whole of the Psalms, um, which Martin Luther described as a mini Bible, um, the way they are intended to be read and sung. And I, I like to look at the Psalms as a God-given instruction manual for life and happiness. And I don't know what you're like with manuals, but this is not like any other manual that you just look at once or maybe twice and then you discard. Um, this is a manual of a lifetime, not just a one-off. It's a lifelong guide. And Sam wanted us to delight in it, to look at it, to give our full attention to it over and over again and think about it day and night. And why day and night, you probably think, is because our minds are constantly being bombarded I mean, you try and sleep at night, the thoughts don't stop, they just keep coming. And so there is no let up, there's no neutral ground. We're all, we are constantly being shaped. And it's either we're being shaped passively by the world and the culture around us, or we are actively being shaped by the word of God, by engaging with the word of God. And so the Psalms are there to instruct our thoughts. They are God's inspired words. Second Timothy verse 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by God, and they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so this, the Psalms instructs us on how we think about God, the human life, and nature. But they're not only to instruct our thinking, they're also to affect our feelings. Why? Because they're songs. And songs are waking something inside of us. They help us express emotions that we're singing about. And so the, song, the Psalms being songs and poems, they're designed to awaken our feelings about God, about the human nature, and about life. And they also have the power to mold us and to shape our emotions in line with what we're singing about. And so the title of our series, Songs That Shape Us. All the words in the Bible, they are God speaking to us directly. The words directed towards us from God. But the Psalms is very unique because most of the words in the Psalms, they are words that is directed from us to God. And so it helps to us to voice out how we're feeling and what we're thinking. Like a, a fourth century church father by the name of St. Athanasius famously said, most of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. So the Psalms speaks for us. God in his mercy and by the Holy Spirit inspired psalmists to craft praises, songs that passionately express the vast array of emotions that we experience as human beings from the very highs of delight love joy to the very lows of depression anguish and grief in times of sin and repentance in times of fear and loneliness in seasons of doubt to every kind of distress sorrow confusion in our lives in the world around us even to the very depths of despair in every mood and for every occasion we can we should connect with god using these authorized words that have been given to us to speak back to him. These words have been inspired um, and they're designed so that we'll remember them because they're songs, they're poetry. 
and their music, and as human beings, psalms and poetry and songs help us to remember truth. I don't know how many of you here know about a Mary that had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb followed her. How many years did that land there? I'm not going to tell you, by the way. But it's a childhood poem that many of us here, we remember. Why? Because we learned it as a poem or as a song. And there's so many, many other poems like that that we've learned so many, many years ago, but we still remember them. We can recite them word for word. And this should be a motivation for us to start to sing the Psalms as songs and to read them as poetry. We should be attempting to personally sing these Psalms, use them to make melodies in our hearts of the Lord, in our homes, in our bedrooms, in the shower. Because as we sing these Psalms the way they're supposed to be sung, they begin to shape us and um, enable us to know how and what to sing during every season of life that we're going to face as we go, as we walk with Jesus. There's some useful resources on the website, newcom.church forward slash Psalms. Please check them out. Um, I discovered one, the Psalms Project, and I've been listening to some Psalms. And so this afternoon, we're going to be reading and singing Psalm 28. So if you have your Bibles open to it, um, the words are going to come up behind you. And we're going to listen. I'm not going to sing, but we're going to hear Psalms 28 sung to us. Be deaf to me, my rock Lest if you be silent to me I become like those who go down to the pit Hear the voice of my plea for mercy When I cry to you for help When I lift my hand in there. 
difference between reading and singing, isn't it? And I don't know if this is your type of music, but whether it is or not, I think it's a great taste to acquire because it's just the word of God that's been sung. And I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you because your word is quick and powerful. I thank that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. I thank you that it passes to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrow. And it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And this afternoon, Lord, our hearts are before you. I pray that your word will discern the intents and thoughts of our heart. And just bring us to a place of adoration and response in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 28 is a psalm of David. And like we've been taught, each of the psalms is rooted in real-life experience. Um, the historical events that actually happened. And so right from the onset of this psalm, we see that David was not in a good place. Things were not going well for him. He was in a dangerous and a difficult situation. He was being oppressed by his enemies. He was surrounded by trouble and by wickedness. And he desperately needed God to come through for him and answer his prayer. Hence the urgency, the very first verse of that psalm. A frantic call to God. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. And this urgent cry of David to God for help and rescue seems to be initially met with silence. However, this does not stop David. He carries on, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hand towards your holy sanctuary. And at some point in our Christian lives, I don't know whether you've already confronted it or not, we will get to a difficult season when it seems as if God is deaf to our prayers and as if he's silent. And some of us might even be in that season right now. It could be as a result of unanswered prayers, difficult, challenging circumstances at home, at work, even in church, sudden or lingering illnesses. And like you were hearing in worship, it could be because of shame. We could just be feeling dry or life is just hard. And one thing happens, you think, oh, yeah, I've just got over that. I've just got through that, and I can breathe. I know something else knocks you down, and you feel you can't catch a break. And everything just seems out of control. The Christian life sometimes is portrayed as marching from one victory to the other. However, this is not biblical, and it's not the case. And when we think that it is, and something happens, it shatters our faith. And we, or when we tell new Christians, or we're trying to tell people about Jesus, that it's oh, one victory to another... It's not the reality, and we should not do that because it has fate-shattering consequences. Our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 7 talked about two men who both built houses. One man was wise and one was foolish. The wise man built on the rock while the foolish one built on sand, and life happened to both of them. They confronted the same circumstances. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on both houses, and the wise man was not immune to these adverse conditions. The only reason his house stood firm was because of the type of ground in which his house was built. We live in a fallen world, and because we are Christians, it doesn't mean we are immune to the hardships. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 10, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. I don't know whether you're a fan of uh, theme parks and roller coaster rides. I'm not. I'm, uh, if you identify with me, I am the expert bag holder. <laughs> and so I've got three girls, 26. I've got you wrong. <laughs> 28, 26, and 23. 
And when they were young, we obviously um, take them to uh, theme parks and things like that. And um, I, they would talk me into going on to this scary ride. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I would happily hold all the bags. You go and get your adrenaline rush. I would be here happily carrying the bags. But I'm happy to go on the not-so-scary ones, the childish ones, which nobody else wants to go on anyway. Uh, and so life, I was, as I was just thinking, that life is like a roller coaster ride. But it's, the question here is not whether we want to be on the ride or not, because we are already on the ride. And there will be twists and turns, ups and downs, as well as everything in between. We don't get a choice to pick the, the events that happen in our lives. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is saying we will have tribulations, we will face hardships in the world. In other words, we're not immune to them. We're not immune to the troubles that life brings. And it's probably a matter of when rather than if. And this is out of our control. However, there's one thing we have control over. There's something that we get a say in. And that is our posture. Do you ever get told when you were young, chin up, straighten your back, don't slouch. Maybe got a few slaps on the back to remind you to straighten your back. We were taught, we were taught as kids, and even as adults, we have to remind ourselves to maintain the correct physical posture. Are you sitting correctly? Yeah. Sit upright. <laughs> um, because the thing is, poor physical posture actually negatively impacts our health. And so we're taught to sit properly. And so as Christians, it's important for us to have the correct, spiritual, the correct spiritual posture. And by this, I mean the inner attitude of our minds and our hearts. Because everything we do flows out of our hearts. When my children were little and teaching them, how to, <laughs> teaching them about obedience, you know, when you tell a child to do something and they do it and they're like stomping around <laughs> and not happy to do it, I say to them, I don't know what's going on in your heart, but I, I can't see your heart, but I can see that you're not happy to do what I'm telling you because you are being grumpy about obedience and that still demands punishment because you have to obey with joy. So it's the same thing for us as Christians. The, how we are feeling in our hearts affects the things we do. And so our posture is very, very important. And in Psalm 28, we see David that irrespective, and many of the other Psalms, irrespective of what was going on in his life, his posture was always towards God. He did not ever draw away from God. It was always leaning towards God. I don't know what, what, what you're like, but I know that sometimes that's not my posture all the time when things are hard. So this afternoon, I just want to talk about two ways that we actually respond when life is bad. And then we look at David's posture. And the first way, the first way we respond, um, sometimes we keep things private. Because we are private people. We live in a modern Western world with individualistic approach to life. And this has sort of crept into our Christian faith as well. The world tells us to keep ourselves to ourselves. It's no one else's business. This way we are not accountable to anyone. And so we cultivate a me and God approach, which we don't see anywhere in the Bible. We take pride in being polite people. Oh, I'm very polite. I don't want to bother anyone. And I don't want anyone to bother me. And so we keep to ourselves. And then there's the issue of trust. Some of us have been let down by people in the past. And so we are always on guard. No, I don't know whether I can share that with somebody. Uh, and we keep to ourselves. And so the marital problems, the difficult child, the career problems, the emotional issues, 
the financial issues, the sexual issues, all these difficulties and pressures that life throws at us, which we could have shared and talked through with somebody, received prayer for, received God's counsel for, get the right perspective. It totally gets out of control because we want to keep private. And this approach of keeping private puts us in a place of isolation. It leads us to be frustrated, it brings disillusionment, and ultimately it causes us to retreat and back off from God and the people of God. And the thing is, backing off is very subtle. It's very gradual. It starts from the heart. No one sees it at the very initial stages because by all outward appearances, everything looks the same. We keep up appearances, we show up on Sunday, we show up in communities. However, in our hearts, we have pressed the shutdown button. We're disappointed with God. We expected him to come through for us by now, but he has let us down. We're disappointed because God seems silent. He's unresponsive. He doesn't seem to be hearing or answering any prayers. Are you even there, God? We think. You know, when you press, down, when you press your shutdown button on the phone, it takes a while for all the applications to close before going dark. So it's like that in our faith as well. We gradually start to pull away from God. We stop praying. We stop fellowshipping with God. We stop gathering with the people of God. We stop coming to communities. Oh, I can't make it this week. Oh, and all the excuses start to come. We start missing Sundays. We start to believe the lie of the enemy that I will sort this out myself. I need time out. And I will deal, deal with it my own way. And then I'll come back. But that's the lie of the enemy. Because this individualistic approach to life and faith is not what we see in the Bible. We obviously need our own work of faith. However, we have been added to a covenant people. And we are now members of the family of God. We no longer exist in isolation. We are in a new community in but not of the world. And in New Community Church, we want to be shaped by the gospel. We want to pattern our lives according to scripture. We want to build a culture where in New Community Church, no one will be in isolation. And where backing off from God and from the family of God will be very, very strange indeed. We want to be a community of people who give of ourselves and orient our lives around helping others thrive and grow. This is why we are committed to gathering as family members, looking out for one another as we live in community and sharing life together. And we take seriously the one another commands in the Bible. And so this series, Songs That Shape Us, is to help us allow the Holy Spirit to use the Psalms to shape the attitudes of our hearts and mind through every season of life. Like I said earlier, over and over again in the Psalms, David consistently maintained a form and a posture towards God. It was always towards God. Even when he sinned in Psalm 51, he leaned into God and he cried, Do not cast me away from your presence. Rather than backing up from God, he never ever wanted to be away from the presence of God. And so when we go back to Psalm 28, we see that even though David was facing hardship and his speaking to God seemingly met with silence, his posture was not one of disappointment or backing off. In fact, by the end of that Psalm, David's concern had turned from himself to the people of God. And so the question is, how was David able to maintain this consistent form and this posture towards God? And the first reason is because he knew God. The cry of Psalm 28, verse 1 and 2, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. This was not the cry of a man who did not know God. This was not, of a, this was not the cry of a man who knew about God. This was a cry of a man who knew God for himself. David knew God as the Lord. He knew God 
as his rock and as the covenant keeper. And he called on God as Lord. And that name Lord is the covenant name for God. Um, and a covenant is a real living relationship. It's unbreakable. A solemn formal agreement which binds and defines the relationship between those entering into it. And David understood covenant. He knew God as a covenant keeper. And his prayer was directed towards the most holy place, um, the holy of holies, where the ark of the covenant was kept. So David knew what he was doing. He was praying on the basis of the covenant he had with God. And his faith was steadfast because he knew God would never, ever break his covenant. He also knew God as his rock. He knew God was dependable and trustworthy. In Psalm 27, verse 5, he testified, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. David was confident because he knew God. And David had an ongoing personal relationship with God. He wasn't just dialing 999, God help, when things were going wrong. He regularly communed with God. He was a worshiper. He loved to be in God's presence. In Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing David said he desired, and that thing he sought after, and that was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That was David's life. He knew he had no good apart from God. Psalm 16 verse 2, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So David's knowledge of God and his relationship with God, he fills him with great confidence. And so rather than giving in to his feelings of despair, his knowledge of who God is and the promises of God's deliverance because of the covenant he had with God, which he knows to be true, kept him going. And so backing off was not an option. And rather than doing that, he leaned into God. And so David's attitude was one of neediness and dependency on God. And that's come through in our worship, even this afternoon. David's attitude was not, oh, God, God is, oh, God, you're so disappointed. No, it was, God, I need you. And I might not understand what's going on, but I'm just going to cling on to you. This neediness propelled him into a place of prayer to the God who keeps covenant. And this is where David continuously expresses dependency on God. And so David calls, he cries for mercy, he lifts up his hand in prayer, he humbles himself, insisting that if God does not help him, he will be like someone that's trapped in a pit. He completely trusted in the Lord, fully confident in his covenant relationship, and that made him bold in speaking to God. We also, as Christians, we can sing this psalm of David with great confidence because of Jesus. We can know and declare that he is our rock. He has made a way for us to know God. And we can have an ongoing personal relationship with God because of Jesus. We can cultivate a posture of total dependency and neediness of God. We can be convinced beyond any shadow of doubt that we are God's people. We can speak boldly to God as David did, knowing that the Lord is our shepherd and he will never abandon his sheep. So that in our times of difficulty, when life is dark, when God seems silent, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we too can confidently draw on the knowledge and the character of God and sing out, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me. Jesus is our king and he has overcome. He's on the throne, he's ruling, he's reigning, and we can fully trust him. We can have great confidence in God because of the covenant that we have with him in Jesus. And the other thing is to remember is that actually this silence, it might seem for a long time, but it's always temporary. 
Because as we read further down in Psalm 28, when we get to verse 6 and 7, David begins to rejoice and praise God because his prayers were heard. His hear my cry for mercy in verse 2 becomes a celebration in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my peace for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I'm helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. So God is the covenant keeper. Now we can completely trust him to always keep his promises. And what we also see in the life of David in this psalm is that he recognizes that God's covenant has always been about a people. In verse 3 to 5, he identifies and talks about a group of people that he described as wicked, the workers of evil who do not regard the works of the Lord. A company of people who he distances himself from and does not want to be associated with. And then we get to verse 8. He identifies another company of people, the people of God. These people he identifies with and he turns his prayer towards. And by the end of that psalm, in verses 8 and 9, David's concern has turned totally from himself to the Lord's people as a whole. And in verse 8 he declares, the Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. And in verse 9 he prays, O save your people, bless your heritage, be their shepherd and carry them forever. David recognizes that God's blessings are not for him alone, but for all of God's people. He was the king and he stood as the Lord's anointed on behalf of the people. And so he knew that God's grace was not just for him, but for the people of God as well. He recognized that he's more than a private citizen. And the Lord's anointed is the same word that is translated as the Messiah. And all the Old Testament covenants, they now focus on a new um, covenant with the Messiah, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. And all those promises have now found their fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. So where human beings fail, Jesus Christ perfectly succeeded at every point and is now the guarantor and the mediator of this new and better covenant that we stand in. So the prayer of Psalm 28 verse 9, the prayer of the anointed king to save his people and bless his heritage, to be their shepherd and carry them forever, that prayer has been answered in Jesus. God has saved his people. Jesus Christ was slain and by his blood he has ransomed us, men and women, from every tribe and tongue and language and people, and he has ransomed us back to God. God has blessed his heritage, and Jesus is our shepherd, carrying us forever. And so when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a part of God's covenant family by adoption, and we are no longer private citizens. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Did you notice the pronouns in there? Us, we, our. And so the Christian life is not so much about me and God, but about belonging and being part of the people of God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a covenant people, and we belong to a covenant-keeping God. With every covenant, there are blessings and there are responsibilities. And in this new covenant that we stand in, we have received so many blessings. 
the forgiveness of sins, God's empowering spirit, a new identity, and so much more. The gospel of Jesus Christ has saved us and has completely changed our identity. We have been transformed into disciples, family members, and missionaries. And by the way, this is not just a new community slogan. This is a living reality of what it means to be part of God's covenant people. We have a responsibility to live in the light of who we are, to grow as disciples, to grow in our love of Jesus and our relationship with him, to come under his authority, to submit to him, and to learn to live for his glory. We have a responsibility as family members to grow closer and enjoy being together. So I walk what it means to be a disciple in community, what it means to follow Jesus, to prefer one another, to sacrifice for one another, to disciple, nurture, and hold one another accountable. And we have a responsibility as missionaries as well. God sent people to, demonst to demonstrate the kingdom and partner with Jesus, playing our part as it brings renewal to the world. And all this is for the glory of God. And so we can sing this song with great confidence only because of Jesus. We know and we can declare that he is our rock, the one in whom we can completely trust, even when things are happening around us that we don't understand. He is a solid, ref solid rock in whom we find refuge. He is the rock of our salvation. Psalm 18 verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, in whom, sorry, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then Psalm 62, verse 5 to 7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. So we recognize that God is our rock. We recognize that God is the covenant keeper. And because the covenant God answered the prayers of the anointed king, we, the king's people, we can pray with confidence and we know that he will save us, bless us and be our shepherd and carry us forever. We also recognize that we, are, we were once in the company of the wicked, but God has taken us out of that kingdom of darkness into his kingdom now. And now in Christ, we are the king's people. We are part of the covenant people of God who by the help of the Holy Spirit will live in the light of who we are. We are no longer private citizens. And so we sing the psalm with confidence and with the assurance of who we are in Christ. We sing this psalm with Jesus Christ, our anointed king, and we heed his warning not to be like the wicked, and we rejoice that our prayers are heard in his name and that we have an unbreakable covenant relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, life is hard, and life can be exhausting if you go on your own. There's so much that makes us feel weary. Our vocations, parenting, ministry, uni, relational conflicts, sicknesses, there's so many things that can wear us down. And the presence of so many praise laments in the Psalms implies that God knew that his people would frequently need to praise him through agonizing circumstances. But we are not called to go alone. We are called to live in community with the people of God. And if you've been in new community for a while, you will have heard this so many times. <laughs> But James 1, 22 to 25 tells us that we should not be hearers of the word only. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't just come and hear the same thing over and over again and do nothing about it because then you are deceiving yourself. It says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
but he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we want to be doers of the word. Don't let this be another time when the Holy Spirit nudges your heart by community and you just shove it out. It's time to take action. We want to be a people who take seriously our responsibility to grow as disciples, to gather as missionaries, and to, and to, to gather as family members and to go as missionaries, all to the glory of God. And I'm coming to a conclusion now. And as we conclude, I just want to ask you, what is your posture towards God this afternoon? What is your posture towards, towards the people of God? Are you living as a private citizen? Or, or are you living as part of the covenant people of God? The Holy Spirit is here. And the Holy Spirit wants to do things in our heart. As we respond, and as I was praying, I was just asking God, how do you want your people to respond? It's looking for this massive thing that we go. What can we do to respond to the word? And the Holy Spirit just said, it's, it's just something simple. It's just a decision. It's just, there's nothing out of the ordinary. It's just a decision of the heart that God is looking for this morning, or this afternoon. A decision from the heart to live counterculturally, and not to conform to our tendency to back off when things are not going right. A decision to increasingly become a people dependent on God and connected to one another. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence from, from it flows the issues of life. And so right now, even um, just bringing back the words that came during worship even back to our, to our minds, there was a lot of the Holy Spirit speaking to us about that, the fact that the Father knows each one of us by name. And so wherever you are at, the Father knows that you are here and he knows your name. And he cares about you and what you're going through. You might even be here. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. You don't have an ongoing living relationship with Jesus that I was talking about. That is the start. For Jesus to be your rock, you need to give him control of your life. And so the first step is to, is to surrender your heart to Jesus. That might be your next step. And for those of us that are Christians, maybe life is hard. There's a time to pray with one another and to respond and say, God, I've lost hope in this area. But brother and sister, can you pray for me that my faith will arise again? Or maybe you're here, you're already backing up in your heart. You're disappointed with God. It's the time to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I just want to renew my commitment to you, to trust you with everything that I have. God is able to save and deliver. And this afternoon, the Holy Spirit brings conviction on our hearts. It's not to condemn us. It's to say, actually, turn around. There's another way. The Holy Spirit wants correct our attitudes towards God in times of difficulty. And the Holy Spirit wants to confirm the fact that we are loved. And he cares. And nothing is outside of his control. The glory is God's. So the victory is ours. So all we need to do is let faith arise in our heart. To so the God who is our rock and our Lord and the covenant keeper. He will never let us down. And so in our hearts, we just, we just need to yeah, say, God, right now, let's just respond in our hearts. I just want you to, first of all, talk to God in your heart before we pray for one another. And say, God, I just recommit my heart to you. Ways where I've sort of pulled back because I haven't seen 
or in ways in which I've just hidden away from you, Lord, please forgive me. And I just, right now, just come back to you with all everything that I have. And then we're just going to pray for one another. Perhaps you're here and you're going through difficult circumstances in your life. You just need somebody to stand with you in faith. We can do it where we are at. Or if you want to come forward, there will be some of us that will be glad to pray for you. Um, our God is a covenant keeper and he will never break his word. We just need to hold firm to him.